This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. So this morning, we're going to go into uh, our sixth sermon in our current series, When He Spoke. And so if you have your Bibles already, here from our satellite campus, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 19. So if you'll turn there with me, I would greatly appreciate that. And I'm going to call your attention to verse number 25. I'm going to read that for you, verses 25 through 30, as we talk about the sixth saying on the cross in the series entitled, When He Spoke. So now I'd like to call your attention to John chapter 19, and I want to begin reading in verse number 25. The Bible says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Now that disciple was John. In verse number 28, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, and do you remember when Jesus spoke to Mary in the wedding of Cana of Galilee in John chapter 2 when Jesus began his very first miracle and Mary came to Jesus and said, we're all out of wine. And she was in a little moment of panic. And Jesus said to his mother, he said, woman, what have I to do with you? He said, my time has not yet come. And so Jesus knew that there was going to be an appointed time when he would start his public ministry and when he would end his public ministry. Now, in those three and a half years, all of the things that God sent Jesus on this earth to do had been accomplished and had been fulfilled. And so when you read the scriptures again in verse 28, after this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, everything God sent him to do had been done, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. By the way, they did this on three different occasions. In verse number 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, because there were other times that he didn't, but now this time he did. And the scripture says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. Can somebody say amen? It is finished and bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now, let me review just for a minute. Again, Jesus spoke seven times from the cross. Next Sunday, when we have communion at the church, I'm going to speak very briefly on the seventh saying as we go into our communion service celebrate Palm Sunday. But let me review just for a minute these sayings on the cross. The first time Jesus spoke from the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The second time he spoke from the cross, he spoke to the thief when he said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The third time Jesus spoke, he said to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. The fourth time Jesus spoke, he spoke with great agony, with great suffering. 
when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And now the fifth time that he spoke from the cross, he said, I thirst. And we, we spoke last Sunday about the various things that that included, not just the physical consumption of something to drink, but it was much more spiritual than that. And today we're talking about these glorious words, it is finished. Now, I hope and pray that you have your outline before you because I want you to refer to this much this morning. These last two times that Jesus spoke from the cross, he was speaking words of suffering. When he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And also when he said, I thirst. Now the words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? These are the words of desolation and loneliness. And that's what you have to remember. Jesus experienced those emotions on the cross. Now the words, I thirst, they are words of lamentation. But thank God, darkness would soon pass. The agony of Calvary would soon fade away. The sun would definitely shine again. And so there's a lot to be seen in these precious words. Now Jesus is on the cross and he is nearing the end of the crucifixion when he proclaims it is finished. And uh, these are the words not of suffering, not of anguish. These are the words of triumph. These are the words of victory. It is finished. They are words of jubilation. And what a jubilation truly it was. And here's something that I want you to remember. You may want to write this down. Jesus was not the victim of the cross. He was the victor of the cross. And there's a magnitude of worlds different apart. Not the victim, but the victor. I think it's important right here to say that the preaching of the cross should be something that we never get away from. And the more that this world revolves on its axis today and moving forward, we're going to see political correctness consume humanity like we've never seen it before. And believe me, there is many movements in our land today that wants to stifle the preaching of the cross. There are millions of people who detest the preaching of the cross because, you see, the cross explains why we uh, had to be saved. It explains the essence of sin and the judgment of sin, the consequence of sin. And the world doesn't like to be told that they're sinners, but the truth of the matter is we're all sinners for all have sinned. So it doesn't matter how politically correct we get, we must never stop preaching the message of the cross. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. 
We can never get to the place, at least never at Buford Road Baptist Church, and you will never have to worry about that as long as I have a sound brain wave, as long as I have a voice, as long as somebody can prop me up behind the pulpit, you will never have to worry about the message of the cross dismantling or disappearing from our pulpit. It will never fade away. It will always be the cross, the message of the cross. Somebody say, man, can I have a witness to that this morning? Nothing should ever be more important to us in the word of God than the preaching of the cross. Now, the cross of Jesus, if you're looking in your outline today, it echoes two profound sermons with many subpoints. The first great sermon that could be preached about the cross, it shows us the incredible depths of humiliation Jesus was willing to endure for our sin. You think about that. The Bible teaches us that he left the ivory palaces of heaven. The word says that he became poor, that through his poverty we might be rich. The Bible says that he was so poor and destitute. The word says foxes have holes and the birds of the air have their nest, but the Son of Man hath no place to lay his head. So he was in fact homeless He left the ivory palaces of heaven. He became poor. He became homeless. He came to a perverse world that would ultimately reject him. So you think about this. The first great sermon that could be preached about the cross is the incredible depths of humiliation that Jesus was willing to endure for our sin. And the second message that could be preached is the message of completion. And that is that Jesus completed everything that God wanted him to accomplish. He finished everything that God set in motion and wanted him to complete. He crossed the finish line. He crossed the goal line. And only Jesus could have provided salvation for the world. Only him. Now, in his humiliation, we know that he left his home. He became poor. He became destitute, he was rejected, he was brutalized, and he was stripped naked on the cross. And in the completion of his mission, we find that he built a bridge, that he would indeed restore a relationship between God and man once again. So there are two incredible, important messages on the cross that I think should never leave our hearts. And it's extremely important to know that these words, it is finished, it's certainly not the despairing cry of a helpless martyr. Jesus, when you think about the realities that were hovering around the cross, he had all of heaven at his disposal. It is finished, listen carefully, it's not the expression of a satisfied life that his earthly suffering had now passed. He wasn't saying it is finished and now wiping the sweat off of his face and the blood off of his hands, saying, well, I'm glad that's over with. That's all behind me. Now I can get back to the Father. They were not words of relief from a worn-out life. But these incredible words, it is finished. They are words of declaration from the divine Redeemer. And only Jesus could procure our salvation. Only he could have made that possible. All he came from heaven to do was now pleasing to God because it was all now very much complete. 
And so we thank God for that. All that was needed to fill and fulfill the heart of the character of God was done. All that the law could not do, Jesus accomplished. The price of redemption was paid in full. The royal, precious, holy blood of the Lamb of God had been shed. And so we find here this morning in these words, it is finished that the great purpose and the great plan of God of salvation was now completed and now it was acceptable in the eyes and in the heart of God. When I thought about all of that, it made me reflect upon some beautiful things of the scripture. God, in the very beginning, he had taken great pleasure in creating the holy angels. You think about that. All of the angels are created beings. And when God created the heavenly holy angels, he took great pleasure in that. He took great pleasure in creating the cherubims of heaven. He took great pleasure in creating the great seraphims of heaven. He took great pleasure when he created the world and when he created the earth. He took great pleasure when he created mankind. Everything that the Bible says that God created, <clears throat> God looked upon it after he had accomplished that, after he had created that, God looked upon it and said, it is good. But I want you to know, nothing could have satisfied God any more than the accomplishment of Calvary. The sufferings of Jesus was over. <clears throat> the hours of darkness were now past. The bitter cup was now emptied out. <clears throat> the blood of the Lamb had been shed. And now, Jesus, God's Son, was back in the fellowship with him, never to be separated from each other ever, ever again. Everything was completed. Everything was satisfactory to God. The price was paid, and the only thing left to do was to raise Jesus bodily from the grave. I'm glad that Sunday after next, we're going to be able to get back in the church house and have Easter celebration in the church. Brother David's got some wonderful music planned with the choir. The choir will sing for the first time in over a year. I get chills just thinking about that. Aren't you glad when Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished? Aren't you glad he did not say, I am finished? That would be significantly different and it would have had a different outcome altogether. I'm glad Jesus didn't say I'm finished. I'm glad he didn't say I'm through. I'm glad he didn't say I quit. I'm glad he said it is finished. The completed work of God that built the bridge from the heart of man to his own heart had been built. I want us to look a little closer this morning at the finished work of Calvary. And we begin today with point number one in your bulletin. And I want you to follow along with me because in point number one, we see the accomplished fulfillment of all of the prophecies concerning the death of Jesus. Last Sunday, we spoke a little bit how Jesus honored every 
prophetic word on the cross about his death. If you're able to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 26 with me this morning, I want to encourage you to do it. Obviously, we don't have the big screens here. And so this morning, I think it would help you to take your your Bible and maybe get some of those pages unstuck and turn with me to the gospel of Matthew chapter 26. And I want you to look at verse number 56. And while you're turning, let me say again, we see the accomplished fulfillment of all the prophecies concerning the death of Jesus. And Jesus made it an extreme priority to fulfill every single word of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 56, the Bible says, But all this was done, that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all of the disciples forsook him and fled. I want you to remember now that for centuries, hundreds and hundreds of years, men had looked forward in the hope of the promised Messiah to come. And then when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, their search was over. They would no longer have to look towards the cross. You see, all of the prophets they had pointed men and women for hundreds and hundreds of years to look towards the cross. They had preached that one day the Messiah would come. One day he would die upon the cross. That's why the prophet Isaiah, 750 years before Jesus was ever born, he said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Isaiah, 750 years before Calvary, he could see in the distance, he could see over the horizon that Jesus would come, that Jesus would die. He would shed his blood. And so all of the prophets from centuries of old pointed men and women to look towards the coming of the Messiah, to look towards the death of Christ. Now, when Jesus spoke these words, whether it would be a prophet, whether or not it would be a preacher, they would preach their message would change, not to look forward to the cross, but now the message would dramatically change. Now look back to the cross, where previously the message was he was coming, And now the message was, when Jesus cried, it is finished, it's been done. And I want us to look at that very carefully and study it and comprehend it today. The second thing that I want to talk about on your bulletin this morning, next we see the completion of his sufferings. This is very important. Thank God, never again would Jesus ever experience the suffering of the broken fellowship with God. He would never, ever again, he will never, ever again suffer at the hands of wicked, evil men nor the hands of the devil himself. The first time Jesus came, the people cried, crucify him. The second time he comes, the people of God will say, all power in the name of Jesus, all hail the power of Jesus' name. 
The first time Jesus came, he came to a cross. The second time he comes, he will come to a throne. The first time he came, he came to be judged. The second time he comes, he will come as the judge. The first time he came, he stood before Pilate. But the second time he comes, Pilate will stand before him. In these words, we find the completion of his sufferings. They will never strike his face again. They will never pluck his beard again. They will never spit in his face again. They will never shove crowns of thorns in his brow. They will never whip the flesh off of his back again. They will never put nails in his hands and feet. Never a Roman spear will ever pierce his side. He will never experience broken fellowship with God. Hey, can somebody in the satellite church say, to God be the glory, praise the Lamb of God, amen. I need a witness this morning. Now, I can't see it right now, but hopefully you're staying with me. Aren't you glad Jesus was willing to pay the price of suffering? Think about it. He was our only hope. But in this word, it is finished. We see the completion of his sufferings. I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2. The word of God says this, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, that's you and me, That's the world, for God so loved the world. The world that was set before him, listen carefully, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He was willing to go through the shame. He was willing to go through the suffering. He endured the cross. Look at the word, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm so thankful that when that Roman soldier said, if you really are the son of God, come down and save yourself. I'm so glad he didn't come down. How about you this morning? The wages of sin in these words, it is finished, had been paid for. Nothing else could be added to the plan of redemption. Many people today are trying to do just that, add things to accomplish what they believe will help them get inside the pearly gates. There's absolutely nothing we can do. I have said this many times in this particular series that if there was any other way, God would have done it rather than putting his only begotten son through the agony of the cross. There are not multiple ways to Jesus. There are not multiple ways to God. There are not multiple ways to heaven. It's only one way. And Jesus said, I am that. I am the way. Thank God it's been done. Many people today try to live by works. They believe if I just do this or do that. But listen carefully. The essence of salvation is not about what you can do. It's about what's been done. And so we don't live under these two letters, do, D-O. Thank God we live under the glorious words of these four letters, D-O-N-E, it's been done. And if you can't say amen to that, uh, then your blessers broke. I'm telling you right now, look at number three on your outline today. We see the clarity of atonement. 
And this is really important, and I want you to think about that. We see the reason for the blood. Why did God choose blood to rescue us from sin? Before the universe was ever created, it was in the plan and in the heart of God that there would be no other payment accepted but the blood of Jesus. In fact, the word says this in Revelation chapter 13, number 8. Verse number 8, if you look at the latter part, now this this entire passage is talking about the Antichrist. However, the latter part of it does indeed refer to the Lamb, the spotless Lamb of God. And Jesus, look at this very carefully. The Lamb slain, this is a set of Jesus. He was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before anything was created, God had a plan of redemption. God had a plan of salvation. And in that plan, it required the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else would do. Many people have asked this question to me throughout my 40 plus years of ministry. And that is this. Why did God do that? And people criticize Christianity because they say that Christianity is just too bloody. It's just all about blood. Yet, when you think about the movies that are coming out today, when you think about all the television series that comes on today, you can go down from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre to everything like that, The Walking Dead and all of this other stuff. Listen, nobody complains about all the blood that they're showing us every single day we turn the television on or every single day you pull up a YouTube on your iPad. But yet they want to criticize Christianity because they say it's a bloody religion. But it's clear in the word of God that there was no other payment. There was no other way. It had to be this way. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 9, 22, you have the reference in your bulletin. But let me mention this. The word says, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood is no remission. There was no other possible way, no other payment that God would accept. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God's judgment on that, he declared that their life would be taken. It would eventually be taken physically, but it was instantly taken spiritually. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. That's talking about eternal separation. So when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they had the physical pronouncement of death upon them. But greater than that, they had the spiritual pronouncement of death. Sin took their life. And I will tell you this, just as sin took their life physically and spiritually, That same sin takes ours as well. In fact, in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12, the Bible says, whereas by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, talking about the sin of Adam in the garden of Eden. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. The very first sin created by Adam and Eve in the garden that sin that they committed was 
hereditarily passed down to every human soul that would ever be uh, born on the face of this earth. Because one man sinned, the word says, because of that, we are all sinners. Sin was awful. And the only thing that would satisfy God is that Jesus would one day pay the price. He would pay the price of judgment for that sin with his death on the cross on our behalf. Now listen carefully. As a sinner, none of us can pay the price of sin with our life. It simply cannot be done. And none of us can pay the sin debt for another person with our life. The only person who could give their life for another was Jesus. Are you with me? In fact, the Bible says this in Leviticus. Go back to the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. The Bible says this, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. So going all the way back to the Old Testament and even further beyond that, Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. God could see in his omniscience when Jesus died on the cross that the shedding of his own blood would indeed be the full satisfactory payment for sin. And here in this passage of Scripture, the Word of God says, For it is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. God accepted the blood sacrifice of Abel. You remember this? Also on the very first Passover in Egypt, when God said to apply, to apply the blood to the doorpost, and God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. God accepted the blood for Abel's sacrifice. He accepted the blood applied to the doorpost in Egypt. After that, once a year, on the Day of Atonement on Yom Kippur, the high priest, he would enter into the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifices to atone for the people, the sins of Israel for the period of one year. And God accepted that. And now because of its relationship to our life and our human soul, listen carefully, the blood of Jesus signifies the supreme payment and offering to God. What the blood of animals in the Old Testament could not do and could not do eternally, the blood of Jesus has done. The blood of Jesus, listen now, it redeems us. It reconciles us to God. It pays our ransom. It washes our sins away. It forgives us. It frees us. It justifies us. It cleanses our guilty conscience. It sanctifies us. It opens our way to the presence of God. It gives us peace. It helps us to overcome the enemy. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Hey, in our satellite church today, it's time to preach what can wash away my sin nothing but the blood of Jesus there is a fountain filled with blood that draws from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath its flood lose all their guilty stains somebody give me a witness this morning now I want you to think about this the blood of Jesus it satisfied God's justice and he gave us mercy it became our shelter in the storms of life it became our Noah's ark 
The blood of Jesus, it became our honey in the rock. It became our bridge to the Father. It became salvation from hell. It provided eternal forgiveness of sin. And lastly this morning, I want you to look at number four. In these words, it is finished. Those meant, those words meant the destruction of every single one of Satan's dreams. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 27, verse number 40. Matthew 27, verse number 40, the word says, And saying that thou destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. I'm telling you again, these words, it is finished, meant the destruction of all of Satan's dreams. Satan did not take lightly the fact that he was in the beginning kicked out of heaven. In fact, as a result of that, he declared a war, a holy war against God and all of heaven. In fact, in his anger, the word of God says that he deceived a third of heaven's angels. And without question, he had a very high-level meeting with all of his fallen angels, and he had predetermined that he was going to create as much havoc and disturbance for God that he could possibly do. And so when he got kicked out of heaven in the beginning, because the word says he declared to God, he said, I'm going to be like the Most High. He said, I will ascend myself above you. He said, I will ascend my throne above your throne. I will be like the Most High. And when he found out real quickly that God had no patience with that whatsoever, God expelled him. He kicked him out of heaven. When the devil arrived and landed, uh, hopefully on his head, when he landed on this earth, he came to the earth, and the Word of God says immediately he deceived Adam and Eve. And in the fall, when Adam and Eve had sinned, the devil said, did you hear what I said, God? I would get even with you. And when the fall came, the devil, I'm sure, said in so many words, I've got you now, God, and I'm not through with you. You think this is something with Adam and Eve, what I have caused them to do. I'm sure the devil threw up in the face of God. What I have done to them, I'm going to do to every single human being that ever walks upon this earth. Shortly thereafter, if you remember, not only did he cause Adam and Eve to sin, but he also caused Cain to kill his brother. He then turned Sodom and Gomorrah into a land of perversion. He then raised up the false prophets of Baal. He then pressed and purposed and possessed King Herod's heart to kill all of the baby boys two years old and under. But he didn't stop there. He also then tempted Jesus in the wilderness. And now he's brutalizing him on the cross. So when you think about it, you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and I'm sure the devil said to God, the score's not settled. It's not finished. It's not over. You think this is something. I want you to see, God, what I intend to do all the way down through the annals of time. 
I'm sure the devil thought that he had finally won the victory now that Jesus was beaten beyond human recognition, profusely bleeding from the cross. Maybe he thought this was just absolutely too much for Jesus to handle, that Jesus had now met his match. Maybe he stood back while the crowd was shouting crucify him and blasphemies all around, maybe the devil stepped back looking at all of his fallen angels and demons of hell that were surrounding the cross and maybe folded his arms and said, look at him now. He thought he was big stuff in heaven. He thought it was a wonderful day when he kicked us out. And when we came to this earth, look at him now. He's helpless. He's hopeless. He cannot save himself. Look at him. He cannot even see straight. Look at his eyes beaten beyond uh, focus and the ability to see. He was in no doubt saying, you should have listened to me, Jesus. You should have listened to me when I said that I would give you all the cities and all the power and all the fame of the world. You should have listened to me. But now look at you. You're about done. But let me tell you this. His dream was his ultimate defeat. I was, Can somebody say amen out there today? Listen to this. Jesus had no intention of letting the devil win when he came to this earth. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And Jesus defeated him in the wilderness. And Jesus, glory to God, he defeated him on the cross. I feel like in this satellite church is a preach coming on and I hope somebody's with me today. Listen to this. Because of that, because Jesus defeated the devil on the cross, we now have power within ourselves. As born again believers, God imputed the power through Jesus because Jesus defeated the devil on the cross and now we have the Holy Spirit. Listen, it wasn't only that Jesus defeated the devil on the cross, but now because we have become the sons of God, we now have the power to defeat him in our own life. Somebody say amen. Listen now. Because of the victory on the cross, because of what Jesus did for you and I, the cry, it is finished. It satisfied every single concern that God had. Thank God that these words, it is finished, does not mean that it's all over. They do not mean that there's nothing left. I'm so thankful that when Jesus said, I'm finished, he didn't say, I'm through. I'm so glad that when he said, it is finished. He was going to reinforce and keep every promise that he had previously made. You want to know why it's not through and why it's not over and why he's not finished? Because he said this in John chapter 14, verse number one, let not your heart be troubled. <laughs> you believe in God, believe also in me. For in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. He's not through. It's not over. He said, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Thank God, one of these days, and I believe it's not going to be long. If you have an IQ higher than plant life, you ought to be able to discern 
that we're living in the last of the last days. Thank God for the trumpet that is going to soon awaken the dead. Thank God that the grave, hallelujah, in Jesus, the grave is not our final destination. Soon we're going to hear the words as the trumpet blows come up hither. And according to the word of God, the Bible says that the dead will come up out of their graves. We will be associated with them. We'll meet, we'll join them and we'll meet the Lord in the air. We'll experience the judgment seat of Christ. Then we'll all go to the supper table, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then we will be with the Lord Jesus when he comes back in his revelation. The Bible says, behold, he cometh with ten thousands of his saints. And when he returns in the revelation, his feet will land on the Mount of Olive. And according to the word of God in Zechariah chapter 14, verse number four, in that day, his feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives. It will cleave in two. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus, the captain of the ship, the salvationer of the soul, he is going to lead the host of heaven with him down the slopes of the Mount of Olives. With the Lord, we will cross the Kidron Valley. With a spoken word, he's going to defeat the Antichrist. We will follow the Lord Jesus through the eastern gate and he will take his place on the throne of David. We'll all assemble around that throne and we'll all be singing when the saints go marching in. At least I think so anyway. He will then remove the devil forever. He'll cast him in the bottomless pit and listen carefully. Glory to God. The finished work of salvation will be finished and God's plan for redemption for the redeemed will be absolutely completed. My goodness gracious. Have we not preached the word of God today? In our satellite chapel, listen carefully. The most important thing that you could do, if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, is to trust him. You know, I get so puzzled with that sometimes. Why would people want to put it off another day? If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, and you're trying to say, I'm going to just... Give it a little more time. Do you not realize that you're playing Russian roulette with your soul? You might say, well, I plan to do it tomorrow. What promise do you have about that? Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. The most important thing you could do right now if you don't know Christ is to give your heart to Jesus right now. This is the day the Lord has made. This is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.